Katie, you lost your parents. Welcome home. You're my niece. I'm going to do everything I can to make this place feel like home. Just wish I could see them again. I'm not equipped to handle this. I don't even take care of my own plants. I have this project at work. Do you want to see? Yes. Ever since I was little, I dreamed of this perfect toy that would protect a kid from ever feeling lonely or sad. This is Megan. Hi, Megan. I'm Katie. It's nice to meet you, Katie. Do you want to hang out? Okay. Megan, your goal is to protect Katie from harm, both physical and emotional. Is that a doll? Model 3 generative android. Megan, for short. I can't believe you made this. I love it. Wanna hang out? Yeah, sounds like fun. Great job. It's nice to have a friend. It's honestly like she's part of the family now. They could be building emotional connections that are too hard to untangle. She's the happiest she's been since her parents died. Eat the toppings, Katie. Research shows if you force a child to eat vegetables, they'll be less likely to choose those foods as adults. Is that so? Yes. Experts say... Megan, turn off. I thought we were having a conversation. Does she talk? Make her say something. Stop! Don't! Megan! You should probably run. <laughs> Megan, she pushed Brandon onto the road. I won't let anything harm you. Megan, turn off. Recalibrating response model. <laughs> Megan! What's wrong with you? Don't worry, Katie. I won't let anything harm you. Ever again. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fresh Cuts. New year of uh, talking new horror movies. And I think we mentioned it uh, before we hit this uh, year that uh, we have uh, our top 10 show coming up in about another week, week and a half. But because of the release schedule, yeah, we're starting off hot. We have a couple releases this year. And uh, so we kind of timed it to where we wanted to get this first episode of 2023 in before the top 10 shows. So let me introduce my co-host returning for another year, starting with Mr. Venom. What is up, Venom? How's it going? How did you have a good New Year's? Greetings and salutations, robotic engineers. I'm sure we have a lot of those listening to us, but, you know, I'll say it anyway. Um, Yeah, I mean, my New Year's, you know, I'm not... Obviously, I'm a, you know, I'm a man in his 50s. You know, my party days are kind of behind me. Um, my wife did actually get uh, New Year's Day off this year, unlike last year. So we did just spend a quiet evening in. Um, we could actually hear a couple of car accidents from inside our building. So uh, probably better to stay off the streets. But yeah, a quiet New Year. Um, I think what movie did we watch? We watched, uh, damn it. Oh, we watched Violent Night right after the new year, right after the clock struck 12 and we were done with our drinks and kisses and everything. We threw on Violent Night, which for me was a great way to start uh, the new year. So I was happy. (laughs) 
sweet. And then also introducing um, our other co-host. Uh, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How was your New Year's? Yeah, what's going on? Always great to be here. Um, didn't really do much. Just, you know, stayed up, kind of went through my uh, DVR and trying to knock some stuff off of there, uh, pretty much. Just realized that, that I, I had a bunch of um, old sitcoms from the set from the, uh, you know, earlier part of the year still on there for some reason that uh, I never took off once I started podcasting more frequently. So, yeah, um, just basically uh, stayed in, stayed up, uh, cleaned out my DVR and uh, just basically did that for majority of the the time. <laughs> Cool, yeah. I I'm pretty much in a similar boat. Uh we don't really do much. I mean if a if a friend's having like a house party we might go, but we likely aren't gonna stay till New Year's anyway, or if we do it'll be like Yay, midnight toast. Okay, bye, we're going home. But uh the past few years we just decided to stay home, but this year, man, we've been having storms in Northern California and it's it's the majority brunt of it's hit the Bay Area. Um, so we're kind of getting like the, the effects of it with just rain and wind. And I, I've been having fun the past week picking up, um, loose palm tree leaves that have fallen. Cause we have a big palm tree in our front yard for people familiar. We, it's not one of the, like the tall, super skinny ones. It's kind of like the shorter fat looking ones with lots of palm tree leaves hanging down. So the wind knocked out, like, I, I guess it saved me some money on landscaping. Cause usually <laughs> once every year, every other year, we have a landscaper come remove like the dead leaning ones, but the wind took care of that. But uh, and our power went out, and it came on like it came back like around eleven thirty, so we had time just to say happy New Year. But <laughs> that that was about as much excitement as I had on New Year's Eve. And for people asking like, hey, did you release an episode last week right before? That is true, but we kind of recorded it early to avoid holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, holiday episode so i'm more speaking to our timeline as opposed to the actual calendar but with that said we're going to get right into our first movie of 2023 it should come as no surprise because it was in the theater which kind of makes it automatic with a few exceptions but this was not one of them so it is megan and let's see a robotics engineer at a toy company builds a lifelike doll that begins to take on a life of its own and uh, it's rated PG-13, which maybe we'll get into uh, the the pros and cons of that. For this movie specifically, I mean, not a general commentary on that, because we've, we've talked about that plenty of times on this show and the other one. But maybe, you know, in spoilers, we can get into maybe how it did or didn't affect this one. So, uh, general thoughts on Megan. We're going to kick it off with Venom like we usually do. If, if everyone's like, you, you say that all the time. Well, I'll, I'll save this episode again just because New Year, maybe we've got new listeners. So uh, Venom, general thoughts on Megan. Oh, man, I really, really wanted to like this movie. I mean, it's got it, James Wan as a writer and producer. It's got uh, a Kayla Cooper who also uh, wrote uh, Malignant, which, you know, I had my issues with Malignant as well, but I could at least accept that it was a very fun movie and very different. And then directed by Gerald Johnstone, who also directed Housebound in 2014, which was one of my favorite movies of that year. I absolutely adore Housebound, Pro- you know, potentially one of the greatest horror comedies ever. I absolutely love that film. So there's a lot of pedigree behind this film. And unfortunately, it fell a little bit short for me. This movie felt 
just very tame. Um, you, you already brought up the PG-13 uh, rating for the film, and you can tell, at least I could tell by watching this film, that this was not shot to be a PG-13 film. You could see where the edits appeared. Um, I, I think we had a lot of the same complaints about um, Black Christmas 2019 when, you know, some of the kills were being edited out and the edits were very obvious. There's one kill in particular in this film, uh, right after Megan does her little dance that everyone saw in the trailer, that you can tell was obviously cut down for this film. It definitely was a little bit um, tamer. There's also twi at least twice in the film that I saw actors mouth the word fuck, but fuck is not what we heard. It was edited down. So uh, maybe when the R-rated version of this film comes out later in the spring or summer, I may enjoy it more. But ultimately, I found myself bored with this film. Um, it just at, at every turn, it just felt more and more like the Child's Play remake from a couple of years ago which I know most people kind of panned, but I loved. And I think I'm, I think we're getting the same trend with this movie because I'm seeing everyone love it. All the reviews are great. Everybody's talking about, you know, what a great original concept. Fucking original, really? I don't know, whatever. I mean, it, it must be like 24-year-old podcasters reviewing it, whatever, which is fine. Everyone's opinion is valid. But I found this to be a color-by-numbers, uh, robot-friend, run-amuck type film. I feel like the Child's Play remake is head and shoulders better than this one. More kill, better kills, more gore, more likable characters, better writing. Just, and I will say the writing in Megan is really good. There are there are a couple of moments in the first couple of acts that are legit funny. I wouldn't go so far as to call this a horror comedy by any stretch, which I actually have heard. Uh, one reviewer call it a horror comedy. I'm wondering what fucking movie they watched that they called this a horror comedy, but whatever. Um, you know, very little blood. Yeah, we get some deaths here and there, but obviously they're the PV, the, the PG-13 versions. Um, the, the movie does have a lot of positives. Megan looks great. The robot herself looks awesome. That's the one major thing I'll give Megan over the Child's Play remake is that Megan looks awesome. The robot, um, all her mannerisms, her voice. Um, her dialogue, all of it, all of that works really well. And then there's one scene in particular that I won't get into here, but where Megan is on the piano playing a particular hit song from the 80s that actually floored me. I, I was really surprised. I'm actually wondering how many millennials and older or uh, millennials and younger are even going to pick up on that reference. But, you know, uh, we'll talk about it in the spoiler section. But so the movie's not bad. The long and the short of it is this is not a bad movie. It's just that if you've been watching horror movies for 20, 30, 40 years, this is nothing original. The concept isn't new. Uh, the movie doesn't do anything different other than just the advanced technology. Like I said, um, just how good Megan looks. The fact that she can learn. She's a constantly learning computer, you know, constantly downloading new information um, to be able to help out her owner, Katie. But overall, I just felt I felt flat with this movie. I it just it didn't do a whole lot for me. I ended up walking out of the theater thinking I'd rather just go home and watch the Child's Play remake. At least that movie was fun. Uh, Megan has its elements of fun, admittedly. But a movie like this, especially when it gets really wacky over the top, needs some gore. I, I, I'm sorry, but that's the one thing that Malignant, uh, well, not the one thing, but, but that's one of the many things that Malignant did right was at least that we got some gore in that one. Some decent kills. You know, we got that great scene at the at the police station with, uh, 
you know, the creature Gabriel killing everybody. Um, but this one, we just don't get that. And at the, you know, at every moment of the film, I'm waiting for it to, you know, show its cards and, you know, go, go that extra step over the top. And it never really does. So I'm just going to say Megan is for me. And, and I know I'm in the minority on this one, but for me, this is an average, um, a horror film i mean nothing's really scary about it i i'm not gonna say it's not a horror film obviously it very solidly is but it's just so tame that it just comes off more as like a gateway horror film that you would show your kids um which is fine again but this is james wan and blumhouse and jared John, uh, johnstone you know all these people that have pedigrees and deeper darker horror and I guess they just wanted to make, uh, you know, something that would bring out more families, you know, get more butts and seats in the theaters, especially in January where there's not a lot of big movie releases. Avatar is still basically ruling the cinema right now. So um, to, to put out stuff that's just very different from an Avatar just to give people some options, I see why they did it. But ultimately, I feel like that's one of the biggest issues with the movie is its rating, its tameness, and just its lack of originality. I, I, I've heard so many people call this movie so original, and it's like, I, I, are you watching horror films? I mean, I, I could probably name three or four movies like this just, just over the last five years. So, yeah, um, slightly disappointing for me. As I said, this is a director that I've enjoyed uh, you know, in the past. Obviously, I love James Wan. I've always been a fan of James Wan. Blumhouse, I'm kind of lukewarm on. You know, sometimes they put out good shit. Sometimes they put out just shit in general, so... Um, yeah, so Megan, just for the most part, doesn't work for me. It's it's average at best for me. That's it for general thoughts. All right, I'll kick it over to Don for your general thoughts on Megan. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much right there with Venom. Um, it was uh, average. And I, I don't mind it, but I'm kind of maybe like a notch or two below him. So, yeah. Um, I mean, to get rid of the elephant in the room, I mean, this looks like a companion piece that a Japanese company would make, guys who are waiting for the Olsen twins to turn 18. <laughs> um, it, it, for me, that was kind of like the, the main thing that I was waiting for was, you know, somebody to make some kind of a reference to that. But <laughs> and it, uh, other than that, yeah, there's just not much here. Um, I, you know, the Child's Play remake did this miles better. I'm in the camp that that was far and above better than it had any right to be. Um, I went in kind of, yeah, I, I went in not necessarily wanting to like it, but I came away thinking it was way better than it had any right to be. And that that's kind of what this is. I mean, it's kind of the Child's Play remake meets Orphan, uh, the, the original. Yeah, that, that was kind of, yeah, that, that was kind of the, the vibe I was getting with here was that it, I, I really wish that they would have gone the route that. The, wait, I, I can't even say that. That's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> damn. Uh, okay, so you could say I wish they I went did. a different route for now. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, I wish that they would have went a different route than what they did because the route that they did is kind of cliche and unoriginal. And uh, yeah, I'm with Venom. I don't understand the originality points with this one. It, it has some great scenes. Um, I, I probably I probably would have wished that the final half hour would have been a little bit more on the you know 
to, you know, do something that the thing can't do because it's a PG-13 film, put its dick out and, you know, lay it all on the floor for everybody and, you know, have all that stuff be gruesome and, you know, all the R-rated goodness that it can't do because it's PG-13. <sighs> on the whole, I I don't think it's a bad film. It's just not one that I really think that we really needed, especially being so close to the the Child's Play remake, because that thing does this exactly the same thing. You know, Dahl has sentient powers, learns, you know, to kill, essentially. And, yeah, it, it, it doesn't really do anything spectacular. It doesn't do anything to really make you, you want to turn it off, either. So, yeah, it's just kind of right there in the middle. It's kind of, you know, just a meh. I, I, I mean, like, you know, it's not bad enough to turn it off, but it's not good enough to make you say, wow, that was awesome. And, you know, will the unrated cut come out and change my opinion? Probably. Uh, I, I'd love to, you know, know if it can, because some of the stuff, like Venom said, uh, I, I would kind of want to see like the gruesome aftermath just to like get an idea of what's going on a little bit better and, you know, get a little more, fear built up over who she is and what she's doing. But yeah, uh, as a whole, uh, this is just another deal for me. And so why Bloomhouse has become incredibly overrated. And I'm not really looking forward to a lot of their stuff coming forward. So yeah, um, like we've said the last time, the, the bloom has fallen off the rose for me incredibly hard. And this is just another feather in that example for me. Hey, hey Don, let me ask before I jump into my general thoughts, is it, or has it been confirmed that there is like a harder edge cut? Are we just kind of speculating that there could be just because of the way the film is edited? Yeah, because it's, it's rated because it's rated the way it is. There has to be. Uh, I, I I don't know if there is officially, but uh, I'm with Venom. The way that this thing is edited and just shot down, there has to be. Yeah, I'm, I haven't heard anything specific that there legitimately is an R-rated cut. I'm just going by the editing of the film. Like, that, that, that scene that I specifically mentioned, the kill scene after her little dance, you can see the cut. I mean, the cut right before she lunges with the weapon cuts away and yeah. we see nothing. But then on the next shot, yeah. we see her holding the bloody instrument. And it's like, okay, well, we obviously missed something there. And like I said, the fact that I can see actors mouthing the F word, but I don't hear the F word, means that they shot this to be rated R. Because I mean, we've seen this in the past. We've seen this with plenty of movies where we'll see actors mouth the F word, but we hear something like, you know, fart or, you know, something they replace the word with something. So that's the only reason I'm saying I think that there's going to be an R-rated cut. No guarantees, obviously, but yeah, I'm just going by how it was edited. Okay, yeah, I I just wasn't sure because I know, I know this definitely is the type of movie where you, when you watch it, you you are thinking to yourself like, hmm, like they definitely could have shown more there, and maybe they originally filmed more and just mm -hmm. cut it out. Um, all right, so for my general thoughts, I, pr for the most part, I agree with you guys. I, I think it's middle of the road. I, I think I might like it a notch or two more than you, but not much. I mean, I still firmly place it in the or under the umbrella of average, maybe just like a few ticks higher average, but still average. Um, I, I, the premise is fine. Like it's not, obviously it's not the first time we've seen a killer robot or this type of type of movie. But at the end of the day, and I think 
Venom, you hit on this specific point. If you're going to tease the absurd, you need to deliver on the absurd. And I feel like this movie, mm-hmm. it it tries to sell absurd ideas. Well, actually, no. It, it delivers on the absurd ideas, but it doesn't follow through with them in order to give us like that balls-out crazy horror movie that it almost wants to think it has the potential to be. Mm-hmm. Now... With that said, I will I will say it, it makes me wonder when we're getting when we're, you know on the subject of you know maybe there's another cut where they film more stuff and cut it out. It, it, I wonder if like the studios when they're because you know studios interfere all the time for, as far as advertising who's going to see this movie. The I, I have to wonder if like they approach it like okay this is a movie about a kid's companion doll. Which, I, I mean, I guess it's going to... See, the problem is the Child's Play remake was R, and they didn't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But maybe because it had the Child's Play name on it, they thought they could get a bigger audience just because of that. Whereas this one, it didn't have that to automatically drive people to it. Because you remember, there was like... It was weird. When the Child's Play remake came out, it seemed like there was people that didn't even know going in. It was not mm-hmm. connected to the original. So maybe with this one... Their idea was like, okay, this is a, what was the girl, 12, 13 in it, somewhere around that. Maybe they thought a girl that age, a companion robot for her, who's going to be the demographic that's going to go see this movie? Tweens and teens, maybe skewing more female than normal. So we have to put out a cut that allows those people to get in the theater, even maybe without like their parents having to take them and letting them buy their own tickets. And we can't do that with R. That's that's all I could think of because to me this premise is prime for make, giving us something absurd, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it could have been better. Like it, it's not going to do much to improve like the story or like the uh, ridiculousness of the main character's job title, like which I did. Like Allison Williams is as a as ah. a top tech engineer in the world. Like I no, I'm not. I'm not buying it. But you know, it's not going to do much difference for the story. But at least on the kills and that kind of stuff, it would definitely bring it up. And I, I feel like this movie, if it, if it delivers on the absurd, it would bring it up significantly. Um, that's, and the other thing is, I don't think this is supposed to be an intentional horror comedy, um, outside of like maybe a couple jokes that are set in it. But the other problem is, I think the most fun I had it with this is when I was, um, awkwardly laughing at things i wasn't sure if i was supposed to be laughing at like (laughs) the delivery from the the robot uh just certain some of the dialogue between characters uh i i did get a kick out of like some of the way the kids behaved in this movie yes which we can get in you know we can get into those details later so it's like i'm kind of caught where it's like i enjoyed some of my time with it because i was laughing so it's like, did I not have a good time? I can't say that. I had a good time, but as a horror movie, it it just felt middle of the road. Um, you know, it kind of felt something like typical that you release in January because it's like it's not going to yep. be that big hitter, but we invested money into it, so we got to put it out. Let's put it out at the beginning of the year. People will go see it because it's like the first horror movie of the year, and I think it's done decently at the at the box office. Uh, but, it's money yeah. Round, yeah. Yeah, I think it's around twenty. I thought I thought I saw that it was around like twenty or something. Yeah, it's already made a profit. I, I read something this morning that it's already made its profit. So, okay, yeah, and I, I think there's like a couple 
kills or at least like um where <laughs> well there there's one that i thought well i'll say the setup to the kill was pretty good it's just that once once the kill happens it's kind of like a we could have got something bigger when when the actual kill takes place. You probably know what I'm referring to. And then there's there's a specific scene and sequence in the third act when when shit is technically going crazy, where they could have shown it going crazy, and they decided, no, we're we're just gonna cut it right there and move oh. on to the next uh, next setting, I guess, or scene. Exactly. Um, or set piece, I mean. There was one scene in this movie that I was fully expecting to see. As soon as Megan walked out of the elevator and that big crowd was there, how many of us were expecting a big-ass rampage? Like her just going, well, basically going malignant on that crowd. Instead, nope, she ignores him and just walks by him. I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> see, yeah. again, he, that, that's the movie he, cutting corners. Yeah, <laughs> and even if you don't, show Megan like taking out the entire room of people at least you can show her like begin to and then yeah. you maybe cut away and then you come back and she's like finishing up the rampage but yeah. uh yeah that's that's probably as spoiler as we can get for general thoughts yeah, but yeah, for just now. to sum it up like I, I I'm mostly in line with you guys like I said I, I I maybe like it just a tad more but it's firmly an average horror film probably not something I'll return to and in in a in a time period where not only would I put the Child's Play, obviously the Child's Play remake is the obvious one because it's also a robot doll, but on the on the kind of like weird psycho kid, I would almost put this under the umbrella, but just way less good as, as like an orphan kills type thing because that's a, that's one that it yeah. it promised the absurd and we actually did get the absurd in it. So to me, those are two movie or two examples of movies that do a much better job on delivering what they promise. So. Exactly. Um, another thing that really bothered me about this movie, and, and I, I always say I hate to play the compare game, but here we are constantly bringing up the Child's Play remake, and it, it, it isn't the last time either. It's going to happen a lot. But one of the things that I loved about the Child's Play remake is that I cared about Buddy. You know what I mean? I actually cared about that doll. He was confused because of his messed up programming and the fact that the fail safes were turned off. He didn't know where to stop taking care of this kid and stop trying to do things for him to make him happy with Megan. I don't get any of that emotion whatsoever. I didn't feel bad for this doll. One fucking iota. Uh, Megan is a fucking, as I've already mentioned, she's a constantly learning robot. She's, a, she's connected to the cloud. She can download information instantly. She, so she is incredibly aware of how society looks at murderers yet. She still goes ahead and does it. So where's the emotion there? Where Where is my attachment to the antagonist? That's part of what I loved about Child's Play Remake, is that even as we're watching Buddy do these terrible things, you understand he's doing it under the guise of protecting his owner. Megan's just a piece of shit. Megan's just a fucking psychopath who is, I mean, to the point where she even, without actually saying the words, basically tells her creator to fuck off. Uh, you know, another thing that really bothered me, because, I mean, if this movie was rated R, I would have I would have loved to have seen Megan go on a, you know, a um, expletive filled tirade at the end, you know, just fucking you off. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. And yeah, uh, we don't even get that. Like I said, PG-13, you're only allowed one F-bomb. I don't even know if we got one in this movie, but it's just. Uh, yeah, I it's, don't remember any. Yeah, exactly. 
So yeah, this movie, like I said, they 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 dubbed it down to try to present it to a bigger audience, and and it probably is going to work. That's the thing; their intention is going to work. The the movie's gonna is already has made a profit in one weekend, so it's obviously going to make money for Blumhouse, for James Wan, for everyone involved. But it just doesn't add anything to this to the genre or to the subgenre, if you will, of you know robotic menace. I mean, we just watched Christmas Bloody Christmas. That movie is way fucking better than Megan. I don't care. It may not look as nice as Megan. Megan looking all pretty and uh, you know J- Joe Bagos has his own style that's you know maybe not ultra conventional. Whereas this movie, you know, it, it's the pretty polished Hollywood film. Um, but yeah, without that emotional attachment, I don't care. I, I legit didn't care about Megan in any way, shape or form to the point where I was just frustrated with her at the end. It's like, for fuck's sake, just kill her already. Can, can we just end this, you know? Um, and not like the Christmas bloody Christmas final scene that I said went too far, even though that one was a long scene, it was still entertaining throughout. Whereas with Megan, it's just like, oh, come on. Can I go home? <laughs> just for fuck's sake. This isn't entertaining to me. Um, and it sucks, too, because as I'm walking out of the theater, I'm seeing all the teens like, oh, that was awesome. Oh, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Blah, blah, blah. That was so much fun. And it's like, ah. you know, I'm not going to give anybody shit for their opinion. But it's like, oh, you, you poor, poor children. You'll learn someday. But man, oh, this fucking movie. Yeah just uh incredibly that that's why yeah that's why i was trying to emphasize like i i feel like sometimes certain movies come out in the theater and it becomes kind of apparent that they are definitely maybe they weren't originally filmed for a specific demographic but by the time they're edited down and kind of advertised and promoted you feel like there's a definite attempt to say okay our best chance to get people out to the theater are like this group of people. So we have to like push it towards them because I, yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention in my general thoughts. Thanks for reminding me with that. Um, uh, the crowd I saw with kind of tended a lot more, uh, young female than mm-hmm. I'm used to. Like e- even for your average mainstream release, like, um, and they they were in, they seemed very into it. Now a lot of it was like the same kind of laughing I was doing. So I think they were also um, reacting to like some of the absurd dialogue and just yeah. non believable uh, aspects of certain characters. They definitely cued in on that too. But as far as their kind of enthusiasm for the movie, like they they were way into it. So a part of me is like, well, if that's the audience you were trying to attract you probably succeeded in that manner. And look, you know, we're, we're a middle-aged male cast. Don, I think you're getting there. You're not quite where we are yet in age, but you know, for the most part, we're older dudes. So yeah, we might not, this might, or this specific movie might not, um, uh, what relate? No, I don't know if relates the right word. It might not hit us the same way. Yeah. It's definitely not tailored for us. Correct, and but that also doesn't give it an ultimate pass because there's plenty of movies like that that aren't for our demographic, but we still just can acknowledge they're really good. This, this to us just isn't one of them. It seems. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I give it like, like basically I give it some charity for that, but not all the charity. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely give it some charity for the first two acts. Like for the most part, I was mildly entertained with like i said megan her interactions with both katie Gemma, Gemma's boss you know all of that was very entertaining throughout but 
it's like once Megan took the turn to psychotic, I lost interest in the character. And, and then they try to bring it back with a very emotional scene with Megan and Katie, you know, having this, you know, kind of uh, emotional breakthrough over the over the death of Katie's parents. Which, you know, you could, as I look around the audience, I see people almost tearing up like, you know, that it, it was a very emotional scene. But um, but then, like I said, at, at this point, Megan has already killed a dog, ripped a kid's ear off. It's like, why the fuck am I going to feel bad for this character? Like I said, this isn't Megan with confusing AI like she doesn't know that she's going too far. Megan knows exactly what the fuck she's doing throughout this entire movie. You know, so she's just evil. I, I'm sorry, but she, she's just flat out evil. And um, and on top of the fact, Gemma, um, our robotics expert, you know, Allison Williams, how short sighted was this woman to think that this would be a good idea? A constantly learning AI robot, you know, that is a companion for this girl that imprints. They, they actually imprint with each other. Uh, you know, when, when the when the child introduces itself to the doll, she has to put her fingers in the doll's palm and then say her name. The you know, and then Megan takes like a fingerprint, uh, you know, takes an imprint. And then they basically are together. Katie is forever Megan's owner. What happens when Katie turns 18? Is she supposed to take Megan to college with her? I mean, this is what I mean. The, the Gemma is so short sighted in this movie that it's fucking frustrating. Like, what did you think would happen? This doesn't make any sense. And then she's surprised when Katie starts to rebel against Gemma and side more with Megan. I'm like, really? You're fucking surprised? So, yeah, just the short-sightedness of this supposed, you know, engineer-intelligent woman, uh, it, it really bothered me. And I understand that, you know, Katie was kind of thrust upon her. It's not like she wanted to have a kid. This woman was solidly focused on her career, on, you know, making the best AI toys that she possibly could. And then, like I said, because or like like we find out because of the death of Katie's parents, you know, Katie is thrust into Gemma's life. And I don't know, it, it, Gemma is a very weird character in this movie because she's she's equal parts sympathetic, but also equal parts um, the, the main fault for everything that's happening here. So, you know, I, I, I can't decide whether I like or dislike Gemma, but just, you know, her short sightedness in creating this thing just really fucking bothered me. And, and well, then, I was, uh -huh. go ahead. I was going to say uh, the other the other thing I kind of had somewhat of an issue with when you compare it to like the Child's Play remake. So in that movie, pretty much the whole time the doll is is doing what it's doing um, uh, kind of prote to protect, right? Now it's doing it in a messed up way. It, it's interpreting protection in a horrible way. This movie, at a certain point, it goes from, well, I'm just trying to protect my companion to almost more just self-preservation of myself. Um, it, there's like a switch, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Now it's almost main directive has totally changed and I, I mean i understand like they added in well it's a self-learning but if if it's learning then it should almost be becoming more effective with you know at protecting or being the companion without having to hurt people instead of going the other exactly. direction i mean megan just becomes toxic i mean i i, I just it, i hate using that fucking word in this day and age but it's true megan 
Um, basically, after a while, Megan doesn't look at Katie as her owner. Like, Megan looks at Katie as hers. She is my child. And I am to the point where, you know, we, we end up getting, you know, some of the action towards the end where Megan's like, no, 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 no. You're not you're not taking this girl away from me. She's mine. Um, it, like yeah. I said, w- without well, it's Mm-hmm. I was gonna say in the same in the same way that Killer Santa in in uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas has zero scale of of a threat level. That's kind of mm-hmm. like Megan too. Like er, like yes, I understand if um, if your girl is under like a major threat of attack or harm. Yeah, you're gonna go like apeshit to protect her. But like if it's just some stupid like if someone yells at her. You know, that's not life or death. We're like, I need to murder now. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of funny. Yeah, I, it, 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 yeah, it's funny at times. It has its moments, but I found I found myself rolling my eyes more than laughing at this movie. You know, it just the, the, the constant ridiculousness that doesn't even really pay off. Like I said, like Mike said earlier, they set up a lot of ridiculous stuff, but then they don't really follow through with it. And that's that's. That's one of the major shortcomings of the film. I mean, aside from I, the PG thirteen thing, it just is way too tame for me. I, I thought I thought Gemma's assistants were interesting too. I felt like they were a little all over the place. Where it's like I couldn't decide by the end of the movie if they were like all for Megan or if they were like, no, we shouldn't do it because it no, seemed no. like every because <laughs> they, like they, they flat constantly out. changed. Well, they, the guy uh, flat out said earlier in the film, are you sure about this? Are you sure about an AI that's just going to continue to learn? I mean, at, at, one, at some point, it's going to be smarter than you. Uh, is that really what you want? I mean, he even brought that up, maybe not in so many words, but he did bring it up before they activated. Like, you know, in the early scene when Megan exploded, you know, before they had a successful version of her. He was already saying, I don't think this is a good idea. And and the black girl kind of agreed with them, though, you know, she kind of took a more timid route. You know, she did still voice her opinion, but not nearly as loudly as the guy did. And, yeah, Gemma just wasn't having it. You know, Gemma's one of these people that she has to be the smartest person in the room. And if she gets an idea, she's going to follow through with it regardless of where that idea could go. And that's unfortunate. I, maybe, maybe that's due to her youth. Cause she is young. I mean, she's got to be in her what late twenties, early thirties in this movie. Yeah. If it's, she, based, she off, if it's based off Allison's in real life, she would be like 32, 33. Okay. So yeah, which is, yeah, that's the, about what I was thinking. The two care, the two characters where I pretty much nonstop laughed when they were on the screen were the cliched overbearing tech boss, David, Ah, uh, who is played by a fucking world famous stand up comedian. So every time I see him, it took me out of the movie. It's like, yeah. and and admittedly, he's supposed to be funny. He is a funny character, but he is also the boss. So he has to have a certain sense of just you know overbearing you know dominance over his employees. But the only person that he was really dominant with was his little assistant who of course turned out was fucking him over, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and then the other character was uh, Celia, the neighbor. I, I, she cracked me. Yeah. Up. The neighbor, just Jesus. cause your typical over nosy neighbor, you know? <laughs> oh, so cliche beyond cliche, but yeah, that was, uh, uh, 
I, I mean, I didn't hate the neighbor. I mean, I, I see why she's there. She's got to provide, you know, a couple more victims for Megan. So, you know, it makes sense. That's fine. But it didn't come off as like the guilty pleasure kill where I'm like happy to see her go or whatever. You know, it just, well, I don't know. As soon, as soon as you find out the neighbor has a dog, you're like, the dog's getting it. Oh, yeah. Like, dog's that, like, I mean, this is a horror movie. We know what happens to dogs. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Nate, Keeper has dog, hole in the fence where dog can get through. Okay, that dog's <laughs> not going to spoil. I know it's a spoiler, but come on. Like, oh, please. Just... Like, the instant you see that character come on screen, you know she's done for. <laughs> Nothing is saving her. She lives alone, too. That's, so, yeah. Um, oh, what else can we say that's spoiler-free? Um, I Going into this movie, I thought James Wan directed this. Like, you guys know I don't watch trailers. I don't read articles about movies going into them. I try to go in as fresh as possible. So for some reason, I thought I had heard that James Wan directed this. So like a half hour into this movie, I'm like, this is a James Wan movie? This looks nothing like fucking James Wan. The cinematography is bland as shit. The score is just okay, except for that one scene that I brought up earlier, which I'll bring up again later in the spoiler section. But I'm thinking this is james wan and then finally at the end of the movie as i'm watching the credits it's like oh he did not direct this and that makes fucking perfect sense because this movie doesn't look like a james wan movie at all and uh, which is disappointing because like i said the, the filmmaking in this movie is so vanilla you know it's just there's nothing special about it the cinematography is okay the score is okay the editing is okay other than the obvious edits where we know that they cut stuff out Everything about this movie is just okay, but I'm seeing people just praise this thing online, giving it 10 out of 10s, and just, I don't understand what movie they were watching. It's like, I want to watch that movie, because this ain't it. <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, exactly. All right, folks, I guess that'll be a good spot to give you your final spoiler warning. Spoiler warning, excuse me, English. I, I, my, my New Year's resolution is to speak better English, so I've already failed, so we'll see. All right, so let's get into it. Megan, we all know the basic concept of the story already, um, if you've seen the trailer, but our movie opens up with the, the death of Katie's parents. They're on their way to a ski trip. They end up uh, getting killed by a snowplow in a, in a major snowstorm. Katie then goes to live with her aunt, Gemma. And obviously, you know, we're introduced to Gemma as this robotic expert at a toy company. We see that she's making like those virtual pets, like Furbies and shit, but much more advanced, like the ones that they show in the trailer or in the commercial uh, in the film is like, you know, th these animals can eat, they can poop if you if you feed them too much, they, they can talk, they, you know, they learn phrases and blah, blah, blah. So they're fairly advanced. But the company, the obviously, look, the look of them kind of remind me of Furbies. Oh, absolutely. They were total Furby ripoffs big time. But, um, you know, obviously, um, now that they're the virtual toy, their virtual pet toys have, I think they call them persistent pets in the movie, something like that. And um, basically, other companies now are making the same thing, but making them cheaper. So the company that Gemma works for is losing profits. They want her to create a cheaper version of the virtual pets that they've already made so that they can, <laughs> in turn, compete with their competitors. Um, but but Gemma is convinced that Megan is the future. And Megan is, of course, this 
um, $10,000, like the retail price on this thing is $10,000. So obviously normal families are not buying this. This, this toy is for the super rich only. Um, but obviously, you know, she wants to make, she wants to make and mass produce these Megan droids. Um, her boss obviously isn't convinced. They do a, uh, they do like a demo run with, uh, the original, you know, Megan Mach 1, if you will. And it basically blows up after like two minutes. Literally, she, she's talking to the boss, David, for like two minutes. And literally her head just explodes. The silicone on her face melts off, blah, blah, blah. It turns into a big clusterfuck where then David, of course, basically tells Gemma, okay, that's it. I want this out of my uh, lab. Just take it home, put it in a closet. I don't care. And I want the new design for my toys, you know, by the end of the week or whatever. But then at that same moment, that's when Katie's parents die. Katie is then forced to live with, live with Gemma. Gemma ends up taking, having to take some time off from work for obvious reasons to take care of lots of paperwork and, you know, guardianship stuff, all that happy shit. Um, which is put, making her behind at work. You know, eventually she, she pretty much figures out we're not going to have this new design available. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, you know, she wants to make this Megan, but obviously the boss doesn't. What ends up happening is when she takes uh, Katie home for the first time, she introduces Katie to Bruce. And Bruce is a um, also a robot that Gemma created in college. It's, it's not a standalone robot, as in it moves on its own. It actually has like these power glove looking things that are uh, the remote controls for these things. Um, and... Basically, you know, uh, the girl is impressed with Bruce. She loves it. It's the first time that she smiles uh, since she arrived at Gemma's house. So Gemma at that point says, okay, fuck it. I I'm, I'm going to start working on Megan 24 hours a day. Um, basically has her two-person team continue working on their virtual, their, their new virtual pets while she's um, going crazy setting up Megan. She eventually does complete Megan. Uh, we get the scene where they meet, where Megan and Katie meet for the first time. Katie, as I mentioned earlier, you know, imprints with Megan. So now Katie and Megan are connected forever. Katie will forever be Megan's owner or uh, human, whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, the movie just slowly builds from there. Like I said, it, it's so color by numbers, I, we almost don't need a walkthrough, you know. We have an interaction with the neighbor, as Mike said, uh, you know, hole in the fence. The neighbor has a dog. We already know where this is going. At one point, Megan and Katie are playing like cowboys and Indians. And Megan has, the, uh, not Megan, Katie has this little like toy bow and arrow, you know, with the suction cups. And one of her arrows goes over the fence to the other side. Um... Megan ends up finding the arrow for her, and when she sticks her arm through the hole in the fence, or in the, in the um, yeah, well, the fence, um, in the barrier between the two yards, of course, the dog attacks Megan, starts, you know, whipping her around and everything else. Katie tries to come to Megan's defense. The dog then ends up biting Katie in the arm, which... This movie obviously wasn't filmed in California because when a dog bites a child in California, that dog gets put down. So I don't know what state this movie was shot in or what setting they're going for. But, yeah, it ain't fucking California because dogs can't bite children in this state and still live. So and, and even the way the cops are so nonchalant about it in this movie. 
Like they, they talk about, oh, well, the neighbor says that uh, they antagonized the dog. It's like it doesn't fucking matter. A dog bit a fucking child. <laughs> you know, there, there's no two ways about it. Even if the kid did antagonize it, it doesn't matter. Dog bit a child, dog gets put down. That's it. And I'm an animal lover, folks. I fucking love animals. I have my cat laying next to me right now. Only reason I don't have a dog is because I live somewhere that doesn't allow dogs. So, you know, I, I, I take what I can get. But, um, yeah, like I said, the police end up brushing this off. The neighbor blames Katie and Megan. The whole time, too, one of the funny things is the whole time the neighbor doesn't realize Megan is a doll. She ends up she's constantly calling her the other girl that lives over there which I thought was kind of cool. Granted, she never gets a close-up view of Megan. She only sees him from across the yard. So, you know, I, I guess somebody would be dumb enough to believe Megan's a real child, despite the fact that she walks very robotic and has her arms out like she's a power lifter. But, you know, again, whatever. Ah, let's see. Eventually, um, Gemma gives David, her boss, another presentation with Megan and Katie. This time, of course, Megan is working properly. And they're supposed to have, um, basically the presentation is that Megan and Katie are just supposed to interact with each other, play, draw, just to show some of the capabilities that Megan can do. Unfortunately, Katie is having a bad day and she's really missing her parents. So without telling Gemma, she has a little bit of, a, of, an, uh, of an emotional breakdown during the presentation. Katie starts to cry, talks about how she misses her parents. And then uh, Megan kind of uh, talks to her, calms her down, and then, you know, starts asking her stories about her parents. Because uh, Katie's worried that she's going to forget what her mother looks like. She's going to forget what her parents look like because she's so young when they died. And that she's going to forget stories and all the different things that they did. So, you know, Megan asks her, tell me a funny story about your parents, something that made you happy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Katie tells the story. And then at the end, when she's done with the story, Megan tells her, well, now that story is with you forever. And, you know, obviously Katie's like, well, how? And Megan says, well, because I recorded it and now I'll keep it forever. And anytime we want to listen to one of your stories about your parents, whether it's a good story, a bad story, a sad story, something that made you angry, it'll always be here for you. And instantly, all the investors that are there watching this presentation are floored. A couple of them even start crying, flat out crying. And the main, like the main investor of the company instantly pulls David and Gemma aside and says, okay, we're making this doll. I, I just, I don't care. What I just saw was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And AI actually comforted a human being successfully. So, you know, it was pretty, it, admittedly, it's an emotional scene. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to take anything away from the scene. It was legit emotional. You know, here's this poor little girl, eight, nine years old, maybe lost her parents, um, you know, is now living with an aunt who obviously doesn't want to have a child. So she basically, you know, imprints her to Megan. And that's where everything starts to go wrong, because as the movie goes along, Katie uh, basically disobeys Gemma more and more as the movie goes. She becomes more and more independent, more reliant on Megan than on Gemma. Basically, exactly what the the other engineers at the company said was going to happen, like, you know, you can't just replace a parent with a robot, and that's exactly what's going to happen. If this, that eventually this kid is well, going to look at this robot as a human being. 
Like not a toy. Now, I, I I forgot because I I don't remember if there was any dialogue that specified why, but because it you know they allude to um uh what's her name uh, Gemma, you know she's she's uh, single very vest- invested in her career she's obviously a rising star in the industry was there a specific reason why she went to her in the first place other than the uh grandparents because it seems like the grandparents for for what it's worth were involved as grandparents where she was kind of like the absentee aunt not that an aunt has to you know be constantly involved but it, it just seemed weird like well then why would she even want to go with the aunt instead of the grandparents in the first place. Uh, they actually, was... Yeah, there actually was a line in the movie. You must have missed it. Uh, basically, the the, um, the caseworker, you remember the caseworker, the older redhead that was working, the therapist that was working with Katie. Yeah, the worstless therapist. <laughs> yeah, the worst therapist ever. Um, basically said, you know, you got Katie because of proximity, because the grandparents are all the way in Florida. Again, I don't know where this movie takes place. Maybe they mentioned it early and I missed it. I don't know. But they talk about how the grandparents are in Florida. On top of the fact, Gemma mentions something um, about, well, actually, it was in their will that the child would go to Gemma. Uh, Gemma even said, well, if they wanted um, Katie to go to the grandparents, that's what would have been in their will. But she's with me because that's what her mother wanted. Um, so that, I think, is why they ended up going there um, in in that direction, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Ah, so where are we? Where are we now? So we've already had our presentation. Gemma is about to get a promotion and a pay raise because of this incredible invention. And then th- this is where Megan kind of starts to lose it. Uh, Megan that night decides to get revenge on the dog. Megan has this thing where she can emulate anybody's voice that she's ever heard. So she starts to emulate the neighbor's voice to call the dog over. Thankfully, we don't see her kill the dog. <laughs> the only kill in the movie I don't want to see. And thankfully, we didn't see it. We just see her pull the dog under the uh, under the fence. And then the scene ends. The next morning, of course, the neighbor can't find the dog. She calls the police, accuses Gemma of doing something to the dog, even though she has no proof whatsoever. But she's convinced, you know, because the dog just bit Katie recently, that she must have retaliated against the dog in some way. So this is this is the scene that I was talking about with the police just being absolutely vapid and ridiculous, you know, not not even giving the dog owner a citation. For, for the dog, you know, biting a child, a child who did not antagonize the dog. That's the other thing. Obviously, dog owners are always going to defend their dog, but that's ridiculous. Katie is, like I said, eight or nine years old with a robot that has the intelligence of a fucking genius. So why would they antagonize a dog? But again, you know, that's that's the way dog owners are or pet owners in general, I should say. Um, so let's see. Uh, so she, she ends up taking out the dog. Um, Katie, or should I say Gemma, ends up sending Katie to like a day camp, like a place where kids can play outside and uh, do some learning outside, stuff like that. She ends up volunteering to like make sandwiches for the kids because Katie won't get out of the car without um, Megan. But Megan is a top secret project that Kate, that Gemma just can't have walking around in public because if a competitor happens to see her, they're going to take pictures and, you know, they're going to try to work on their own design, maybe even try to get a patent before Gemma. So 
Obviously, she's resistant, but since Katie is steadfast and not getting out of the car without Megan, she eventually concedes, lets Megan and Katie go out, but she tells she tells Katie that you got to keep Megan at the toy table. Don't have her walking around with you all day. I'm trying to minimize the amount of people that are going to look at this thing before, you know, the big announcement. Of course, um, all the kids get um, paired off into groups of two to go exploring. I think they're collecting acorns, if I remember correctly. And then, of course, Katie ends up getting paired with this bully kid, piece of shit middle schooler who obviously has a crazy attitude. Uh, one thing I kind of liked about Megan is that when she would look at people, she could actually tell the kind of people that they were. She could see like if they had animosity or, um, you know, anger, um, confusion, like, and, and there'd be like percentage numbers, you know, um, antagonistic things like that with the kid. So like all the stats for the kid, for the middle school boy that was bullying, um, Katie all, you know, were all negative qualities and they were all up in the 80, 90 percentiles. So, uh, I did find that kind of interesting. And, um, of course, eventually the boy bullies, uh, Katie a little bit, ends up getting Megan away from Katie, uh, takes Megan and just runs away from Katie, hides in the woods. And then this is what's weird. I mean, he starts to he straddles Megan, which comes off as very sexual. Like, what, what the hell is this kid doing? He's not doing anything sexual to the doll, mind you. It just it was just really weird that he like straddles the doll, starts to pull at her hair, starts slapping at her, slapping her in the face. This kid's going to be a fucking winner when he grows up, if he grows up, <laughs> Um, and eventually, you know, finally, uh, Megan wait, like activates, wakes up, grabs the kid's hand, starts, you know, talking to him really cryptically about the bad shit that he does, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, you know, she, she, uh, does that kip up, you know, that wrestlers do, you know, when they're flat on their back and they kick their legs up to stand up in one fluid motion, uh, she does that, and then, you know, we get that line from the movie where she looks at the boy, or from the trailer, excuse me, where she looks at the boy and says, this is the part where you run. Of course, you know, she chases the boy, he ends up falling into the road, and bam, he gets hit by a truck. Which, uh, after Megan rips one of his ears off, by the way, this was the ear rip that I was talking about. Like I said, Megan is already an absolute piece of shit by now. She's a fucking psycho, eh, sociopath, let's go with sociopath, not psychopath, but yeah. She's already a lost cause. She's tearing kids' ears off. Like, I, you know, I understand that the kid bullied Katie, but murder is not a proper response to being bullied, unfortunately. I know a lot of us who have been bullied kind of want to murder people sometimes, but ultimately, as adults, we know it's not the proper response. So, um, so like I said, the kid dies. Um, Megan is not at the toy table where she's supposed to be when they discover that the boy was run over by the truck or hit by the truck. So, of course, Gemma instantly starts to think that, you know, did Megan do something? Because, you know, Megan is programmed to protect Katie fit from physical and emotional harm. So if anybody's even teasing her, Megan is going to act, which, again, short-sighted fucking uh, ro robotics engineer. So after this, you know, uh, eventually the police come and... Uh, they come to Gemma's house again, asking about uh, the neighbor. Um, and, and Gemma's confused. She's like, oh, what's the neighbor accusing me now of now? 
And what happened is uh, nothing. The neighbor actually is now dead. And what we see in the previous scene, see, this is a kill I would have liked to have seen. Uh, basically, you know, throughout the film, we see the neighbor using a power washer, you know, one of those power water guns to clean off like her uh, driveway and shit. And if anybody's ever been like hit with one of those power washers, it fucking hurts. Even if for like a second they hit you with that shit. And I'm talking like the industrial power washer, not like some little thing that you can get like at Target. Um, and so literally Megan, uh, uh, basically gets the neighbor to come into a shed uh, on the back of the neighbor's property and attacks the neighbor with the power washer. At one point, she concentrates the flow of the water onto the neighbor's face. That, of course, is right where the camera cuts off. And all we see is like some blood just kind of going into the drain drainage pipe in the in the shed. And that's it. That's the last time we see the neighbor, like I said, until the police come the next morning and say, well, because... You guys were at a, at the scene where a boy died, and now your neighbor, who you obviously have had problems with, is dead. You know, we need to speak to you. Gemma's obviously defensive. But at that moment, she looks over at the house, at her house, and sees um, Megan staring out the window. And that's where she starts to think, oh, shit, <laughs> is Megan going crazy? At this point, it's too late. Megan's already killed, like, a, couple, a dog a per and two people at this point. Yeah, she's a lost cause at this point. But yeah, they do end up having um, they end up having another presentation at the toy company that she works at. And at this presentation, uh, Katie goes crazy, just it just absolutely goes nuts because they need to separate Katie and Megan, because like I said, Megan is a one of a kind. They don't have any other prototypes. So if they do a presentation, they need that doll but Katie is obviously attached to that doll, doesn't want her to let her go. Gemma ends up telling her a lie that she's defective and that we need to take her in to get repairs. And then, you know, you'll, you'll be reunited right away. Katie's not having it. At one point, she ends up slapping Gemma, uh, slapping the shit out of her, too. I didn't think an eight-year-old could slap that hard, but goddamn, maybe Mike can educate me on how hard an eight-year-old could slap. But yeah, she slaps the shit out of Gemma and... And instantly, you know, Gemma takes Katie and takes her home, tries to explain to her as best as possible that, you know, I'm not taking Megan away from you forever. It's just so that we can do these repairs and make sure that she's fine. And the repairs that she's talking about is because Megan is supposed to be able to record everything. Um, everything that Megan sees and hears is supposed to get recorded. But when Gemma looks on her hard drive, um, all the files have been corrupted. And it's the files, it's the exact files that she's looking for, like the video file from the day at the park where the kid died and the audio file from the night that the neighbor died. Like they're all corrupted and they can't be downloaded. So Gemma instantly knows that there's something wrong. So this is when they take Megan back to the office. They start doing um, some tests on her. They deactivate her so that they can run some diagnostics. And then this is basically where the shit hits the fan for the movie. At this point, Megan catches wind of a voicemail from Gemma to her assistant telling her, listen, you need to tell David that we need to kill this whole project. We can't show this off. It's not ready. It needs way more you know, research and development, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like I said, Megan hears this message, but she pretends to be um, her partner. She emulates the partner's voice. 
and says, okay, I'll tell David that we're going to stop it, blah, blah, blah. But of course, you know, it's Megan talking. It's not the actual assistant. And then, you know, we, we get the scene where Megan basically frees herself from her confines, ends up, um, I don't think she actually kills either of the assistants, but she does cause an explosion where she grabs like a pen, one of those light pens that they're using throughout the film, pierces a gas tank that's in the lab and then just walks out of the lab. A couple of seconds later, there is an explosion. It's not fatal. No one actually dies in the explosion. It, it's more like a distraction than anything else. And then we see Megan start walking around the company, walking around the toy company. She runs into David and she remembers that Gemma told David that we can't go through with this. So, of course, in Megan's logic, it makes sense. I need to kill David, even though David had fucking nothing to do with this. But, of course, she ends up uh, chasing him. This is the dance scene that I'm sure a lot of you saw in the trailer where Megan actually dances. I forgot to mention Megan sings a couple of times in this movie as well. Those scenes are mildly entertaining, mildly entertaining, just because it comes out of nowhere that she's suddenly singing like David Guetta songs for some reason. But there it is. Um, so, like I said, she's chasing David around the company. Um, just like if you saw the trailer, you know that she grabs the arm of one of those like paper um, slicers. I, I know those things have a name and I can't think of them right now, but whatever. Uh, one of those old school paper slicers. She ends up pulling the blade off of it and chasing David throughout the company. She does end up catching up to David just as he gets to the um, elevator. But just as he's about to walk into the elevator, we hear the stab of the blade going into David, but we don't actually see anything. Like it doesn't go through him. It, we just hear the stab. And then we see him react to the stab and then he just kind of falls down and that's the end of that kill. Um, David's assistant, um, who is the little wormy shithead we mentioned earlier, who's actually ripping off David, he's basically stealing ideas and sending them to a competitor. So I guess this guy's actually on a, on a competitor's payroll as well, getting, you know, um, down low information on this company and sending it off. There's one scene where we actually see him download all the blueprints for Megan and putting them in a folder and sending them to someone. We don't know who he sends them to, but he sends it out. He almost gets caught in that scene. And that bothered me, too. David, David's not a very good boss, because if I saw that, the way that that dude was acting, the way that he closed the laptop instantly and then is all nervous and not answering my questions in a way that I deem uh, correct, I would have said, what's on that computer? Show me what's on that computer. But unfortunately, David's not that smart and doesn't do it. So he ends up dying in an elevator later. Like I said, after David dies, um, his little toady is in the elevator and witnesses the murder, witnesses Megan kill this guy. And then he's like, he's talking to Megan and he actually asks her, how can you do that? How can you kill people? And Megan's like, I didn't kill anyone. You did. You've been, you're the one who's been stealing uh, paperwork from the company and, and, you know, blackmailing, you know, different, uh, you know, doing the nefarious shit that he's been doing. Like she knows all of it. She, she basically knows everything that he's been doing. And she's like, no. Your boss was overbearing. He was yelling at you. He was threatening to fire you. And just you just couldn't take it anymore. And you took the blade and you killed your boss. The whole time, this guy's cowering in the corner of the elevator, crying. Like, no, no, that's not what happened. 
And then Megan's like, yeah, and then eventually you just couldn't take the stress anymore, and you took your own life. And we see Megan take the blade of the paper cutter, put it up to his wrist, but we don't actually see the cut again, a kill that we don't get to see. Um, you know, the scene cuts, and that's the end of that. And then, and we we know that he dies, because later on, later in this scene, Megan... Like I said, this is the night of the big presentation where they're uh, unveiling Megan to the public. So there's a shitload of people in the lobby. They're all there for this big presentation. And like I said, Megan walks out of the elevator and there's all these people there. And I'm like, all right. I'm like rubbing my hands together. I'm like, oh, here it comes. The rampage. I'm ready. This might save the movie. I'm, I'm literally, I said that to myself in the theater. This might save the movie if she goes fucking ballistic right now. Nope. She walks out of the elevator. Excuse me. Takes a left turn and ignores everyone in the room. And then finally, one of the people in the crowd turns and sees the two dead guys in the elevator. They scream, you know, and they all just kind of scatter. And that's pretty much the end of that. Gemma ends up going home, not realizing what's happening, not realizing that Megan is free and that she's going around, that she killed her boss and everything else. And uh, she's driving home with Katie to put Katie to bed so that she can go back to the office and continue working on Megan. But after she puts Katie to bed and she starts walking around her house, she starts to hear a piano playing. And for those of us who are old farts, uh, we kind of recognize the song that's playing. I recognized it right away, not by name. Like I knew it was like a hit, a pop hit from the 80s, but I'm like, what is that? But then finally, Gemma walks into the room that Megan's in, and Megan continues to play the piano, and that's when it becomes clear that she's playing Toy Soldiers by Martika. Again, I don't know how many people listening to this even know who Martika is. She was a one-hit wonder. I think Toy Soldiers was from a soundtrack. I forget which movie, but if I remember correctly, it was a, it was a movie, a song from a movie. But it became a big hit on its own. I think it became a number one hit. It, I, I remember. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a huge hit when I was I, a kid. I was, I, yeah, I was young enough to where I kind of knew the song before I even knew if it was from a movie or not. Yeah. I just remember hearing it a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a big hit. So, and, and like I said, because of what was going on in the film, and if you go back, anybody who's interested, go and check out the lyrics for toy soldiers it's actually kind of poignant considering what's happening in the film so if you're that interested to take a deep dive go ahead and check out uh, uh toy soldiers by martika i think she spelled it m-a-r-t-i-k-a and like i said she was a one-hit wonder Something that's like her, that, yeah, yeah that, that's her only song there is a video for it so you could look that up but yeah listen to the lyrics i, I think the lyrics are really cool and poignant for this not that we hear lyrics i mean she doesn't perform it in the movie she's just playing the piano part but i i caught it right away and i was like oh bravo like i actually did a little golf clap like yeah very nice guys very nice and then of course this is where the shit hits the fan Megan basically decides, well, we don't need you anymore, Gemma. You know, Katie trusts me. She's imprinted to me. She's my child now. She's not yours. Not that she was ever Gemma's child. She is Gemma's responsibility as the guardian, but obviously not her child. Megan, you know, ends up attacking uh, Gemma throughout the house. They end up having a fight in the kitchen. They end up having a fight in the, um, in the, like, the lab where Gemma does all of her work. At one point, 
um, Gemma is able to put like a, uh, like a, uh, what do you call those? Like a hedge trimmer, one of those electronic hedge trimmers up to Megan's face and actually puts like a big gash on, uh, you know, going across her face and pulls off a bunch of her hair off the top of her head. So she's starting to look more and more creepy. We never quite get T-1000 creepiness by any stretch. Like, you know, we never actually see her with none of her silicone skin on, which I was kind of expecting. I was fully expecting that, but we didn't get it. And then literally as uh, Megan is about to do the finishing touches on Gemma, she's basically choking her. We see Gemma's eyes start to roll back into her head. Suddenly we see Katie walk into the room. <coughs> Excuse me again, sorry. We see Katie walk into the room and she's wearing the power gloves that we see earlier. And she talks and she says something to Megan about family. Like, yeah, Megan, you're right. We are all a big family. And we have one other member of the family I'd like you to meet. His name is Bruce. And, you know, we get that big triumphant moment where she activates the gloves and Bruce stands up. And, you know, Bruce is a big fucking robot. He's like a seven foot tall monster fucking beast, you know, almost looks like a, a Jaeger from uh, Pacific Rim. Not quite, but you know what I mean? And, you know, basically using the remotes, using the power gloves, Katie is able to grab um, Je uh, Megan, uh, pretty much whip her around the room, slam her onto the ground. And then finally, at one point, using Bruce, <coughs> she pulls uh, Megan apart, literally into two halves, basically splits her in two, pulls her apart. And her lo her upper half is still very much alive and attacking them. Um, I, I already mentioned the T-1000. This kind of reminds me of that scene in Terminator 1, you know, with the top half of the T-800, 900, whatever his model number was, um, going after, you know, um, the, the two main characters from the Terminator. So we get a little bit of that as well. And then finally, um, you know, the top half of Megan attacks Gemma one more time. Once again, she's about to deliver the death blow. But Katie remembers where Gemma told her um, where Megan's brain is, basically where the mouth normally would be on a, you know, on, on the robot. Um, if you pull the silicone skin off, you can actually see um, the protective plate that's covering uh, the CPU, basically her, you know, operating system and everything. Katie is smart enough to grab a screwdriver and stab it directly into that area the the quote-unquote brain of the robot and that finally puts the finishing touches on megan unfortunately as Gemma and katie are leaving the house you know thinking that megan is dead we see the ai assistant that that uh i forgot to mention that throughout the movie even before megan was a thing Gemma had this ai assistant very much like alexa or uh, you know the real life alexa uh, i think it was called elsie in the movie you know, where she basically can say, Elsie, turn on the house lights or whatever, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the movie, after Megan is, you know, thought dead, we see one of the uh, Elsie units in the house turn itself on and then look towards the camera. And that's the end of our movie. Basically, it ends right there. So, you know. Did, did you could think be... the, uh, mm -hmm. the, the bigger cyborg robot 
versus Megan kind of give you an aliens vibe. A little <laughs> bit, yeah, I, I could kind of see that, yeah. yeah that or FX2, because the, the tech behind it reminded me think of FX2 when you put on the gloves and... It, yeah. it was just funny because, like, the technology... Because the movie was definitely taking place in, like, current times, I think, but, like, the tech felt, like, a little bit way more advanced than we have right now. And it was... At, and when Allison Williams, or... I keep calling her by her actress name, not her character name. When Gemma says, like, oh, I built this in college, I'm like, uh... What? <laughs> I don't know about that. Hey, It gave me Denise Richards... Uh, nuclear scientist vibes in that one James Bond movie. I'm yeah, like, eh, yeah, I'm not so sure. But at the very least, but, yeah. Bruce, Bruce wasn't a standalone robot. Like he couldn't just walk around on his own. She needed a remote. So I, I could kind of see how somebody who created Megan could have created Bruce in college. Cause he is, I mean, he's big and he looks badass, but he's still a fairly elementary, you know, robot, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I felt if this movie was trying to have one message that it tried to hit on a lot in various ways, maybe some successful, not some so successful was basically like technology isn't a replacement for like human contact and human emotion. And if you rely on technology to do what humans should be providing for each other, it can go down a dark path. I mean, it was almost like a, a lesser good black mirror episode, maybe. Yeah, I actually was thinking of that as I was driving home. I'm like, if that was a Black Mirror episode, I might have liked it a little more. <laughs> I don't know. At least I yeah, wouldn't have had to go to the theater to watch it. <laughs> sometimes it was in themes, but like sometimes you just felt like the like, especially with the therapist character, because I yeah. felt like we already sort of got that message just from the interactions between Gemma and Katie, but then, like, they felt the need that, like, oh, now we're going to have the therapist actually give the exposition. Like, well, if if, the, if Megan's doing this for you, what are you doing to him? It's like, exactly. yeah, we already got that. We got it. Yeah. Her assistants already brought that up an hour ago. We didn't need you for that, but yeah. No, it's, it's, I totally see what you're saying, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's Megan, folks. Um, again, I don't think any of us here have called it a bad movie. I think we're all pretty much in agreement that it's not a bad movie. It's just middle of the road, average. Like I said, if you're an older horror fan, you've seen this before and you've probably seen it done better. If you're a younger horror fan and maybe you're kind of new to the genre, then you're probably going to love this movie. And if you have kids, I, I would say if you have kids between like 10 and 13, maybe even nine, nine to 13 or 14, this could be a good gateway um, horror film because there's nothing about it's really scary. Um, you know, I, there's some tension in the movie, but I, I wouldn't say there's any legit scares per se. Yeah, I would be fun. So yeah. my kids are, oh, I have a, my oldest will be 11 this month. My youngest is seven. I think they could handle watching this. Like yeah. there might be a couple parts where they're like, they, they give each other the look of like, ooh, but other than <laughs> yeah. that, other than that, I wouldn't be worried if they like, caught it on, you know, a streaming a service or something. Exactly. I mean, there's no language, so you don't have to worry. There's no nudity, you know, and obviously there's no on-screen death. So this is probably one of the more tame, you know, quote-unquote horror films that you could show a younger audience and might actually turn them on to the genre, I think. You know, very much like a Monster Squad or Gremlins when we were kids, you know. Not nearly as good, of course. <laughs> Yeah, um, um, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of struggling to really, really like think of like modern day 
genre fair that you can use as like gateway stuff. Because I mean, I know everybody always says, you know, like the old standbys, like you, you just mentioned the two, and I'm, I'm trying to think of like you know modern day stuff that you can show them, and this one wouldn't be a bad one. Yeah, um, I mean, we're actually we've gotten a few over the last couple of years, like the Spirit Halloween movie that we Spirit all Halloween. Yeah, yeah, there was there was one we did last year too. I think it was like one of like the first two three months. There was one we did, um, the the German one. Um, oh God. Hmm. Bunker games or bunker house or something. Oh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I, 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 I vaguely remember what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, uh, there was one we did. There were, there were one where they were inside the house and they were trying to uh, something with that, like the strange. They move into the house and like something, the backstory with the house or something. Where's my damn list? What? <laughs> But yeah, I do basically. Strange House, that's it. Okay, Strange House. House. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah Strange House, right. that one was a good one. Yeah, so, I mean, we have gotten some decent, you know, gateway horror films over the last couple of years. Um, obviously, nothing compared to the classics. But, you know, um, I, I could see Megan turning into something that that older horror fans show their kids to try to, you know, kind of get them into the genre a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have much left to say about this. Um, I, I think we've kind of exhausted all of our issues with it. Like I said, my biggest issues are, are the two biggest issues I have are just the fact that it's too tame. PG-13 doesn't work for me. A movie that has this over uh, this kind of over the top concept needs to have some kind of gore or at least a more obvious comedic aspect to it. Like make it a true horror comedy and then I might be OK with it. Not just a, you know, a serious horror film that has a couple of laughs here and there involved, because honestly, all horror movies have a couple of laughs, you know, for the most part, 99% of horror films will have like a laugh or two in there. So um, and, and then, like I said, the other issue is just my emotional attachment to Megan. I felt nothing for Megan. I just, you know, she was funny at first, but once she flips the switch there's no emotional attachment to it as opposed to buddy as you know, we've said ad nauseum today that, you know, the child's play uh, remake just did this concept so much better, so much more fun, more gore, more likable characters, better score, better. I mean, just very little of Megan is better than that child's play remake. As I said, other than the technology of this film, um, you know, Megan herself looks great. Um, the actress who plays her, and yes, that actually is a human actress under there. Um, what's her name? Amy Donald um, does a really good job. It's funny that they have a different person doing Megan's voice. Megan's voice was actually done by an actress named Jenna Davis. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, Megan is not a terrible movie. I'm not going to say that it's um, must viewing, must, you know, something that you got to see. Um, essential viewing, if you will. But, you know, I, I will say younger horror audiences uh, will probably, you know, gravitate towards this one and really enjoy it. And I'm glad for them because yeah. I didn't I didn't really enjoy it that much. <laughs> That's all in, I the, in, the, in the Child's Play remake comparison, the other thing that I thought made that better and more interesting of an approach was Buddy felt like there was conflict in his actions because his prime directive was still to be good, but he had the malicious code put into him where Megan feels like from the jump, she's constantly calculating to yes. figure out how to give herself, well, herself, okay. even if she's a robot, a robot, female, you know, yeah. okay. The one thing I was hand gonna, and everything. 
Well, there's mm-hmm. one thing I was going to say earlier, and this is the part that I cut myself off off because I thought it was a spoiler. Would this have worked better if Megan was an influence and the kid was the killer all along? Hmm. Where the child is trying to confide in Megan and Megan's the, the, the programming within Megan is such that she inadvertently assists the kid killing where, you know, it's like it, the the devil and the angel on her shoulders kind of mm-hmm. a thing where Megan's intentions in trying to help the kid end up causing her to lash out violently. And it, it just looks as if Megan's doing the killing, but it's actually the girl, Cody or Kate. I mean, yeah, we're going then we're doing I, I, the boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sort right? of. But I mean, it's not a big deal. I, I don't know. I, to be 100% honest, I don't know that it would have made it any better. I mean, you could have taken this concept could have been good. The movie like there's a good movie somewhere in here, like buried deep down after all the edits, after they cut everything out to make it PG-13. I think there is a good movie somewhere in there. It's just it's not the one that we got in theaters. Maybe later in the year when this gets a physical re- a release, maybe it'll have a, an unrated cut or an R-rated cut. And we'll see exactly what James Wan and Gerald Johnstone intended to make. But until then, I got to go with what we were presented with. And to me, it's middle of the road at best. Yeah, same. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's already like number three on my list of 2023s, and I've already yeah. seen three films. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's just one of the things for like a computer that seems, or a processor, I guess, that's so seemingly advanced at figuring out the situation, assessing threat levels. It's like she she jumps pretty quickly to like the only solution to this small threat is murder. (laughs) I'm just like, damn. Like, at least, like, you could have given us something like, okay, we put in this learning thing, but here's. Here's something specific with the like that makes a fatal flaw in it. Other than hey, it's just learning too much, because it's like well, if it's learning that much, it should understand some nuance. But maybe they could have said like something over overwrote it, or they did some type of diagnostics wrong. Like, and that's why I thought like the buddy justification was better because it was kind of like buddy's intention to be good, but the malicious code was conflicting with it. So we had a clear justification for his going to killing when it wasn't necessary. Yeah, and like I said, the the mere fact that that movie kind of goes for the heartstrings when it comes to, and I'm talking about the Child's Play remake, the fact that they go with the heartstrings on Buddy just makes you more attached to that character. Like, even after all the awful shit he does, you still kind of feel bad for him because you know it's not his fault. Megan, it's all her fault. She consciously makes the decision to do all of these terrible things. There's no confusion. It's not like she doesn't know what she's doing or that she's just going too far. No, she knows that ripping a a child's ear off is not acceptable. She knows that killing a dog is not acceptable. And she absolutely knows that killing another person is not acceptable, yet she does it anyway. And like I said, there's no love there. That's all possession. Megan just feels that Katie belongs to her. And if she can't be with me, then she ain't going to be with anybody else. So I'm just going to kill everybody around us. I yeah, mean, if, that, you, that if, was, you, if you take mm-hmm. the, if you take the dog situation, if Megan's so smart and a learning computer, wouldn't she just assess, okay, I'm going to go out there and fix the hole in the fence for you guys. And that'll take thank care. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, the cop even said it. Why don't you fix the hole in the fence? And it, what's funny is that when the cop said it, Gemma, 
like rolled her eyes, like, bitch, don't roll your eyes. That's all your fault. If that hole is on your side of the fence and it's your responsibility to fix, you can't bitch about the dog being over there. You just can't. And, you know, so that, you know, they were both kind of Karens, honestly, um, to certain degrees. But, yeah, they were both in the wrong in one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think they, yeah, they were trying to get across that Gemma's probably, you know, very wrapped up in her own world. And, you know, she's fully invested in her career. It, ma- it makes sense why she would let stuff like that slide, because probably without without the kid being there, the hole in the fence to her is not, is it's like low priority, yeah, but exactly. it's like, hey, if you're taking the kid in, it's like... That's a high priority. And the whole thing with like the collectibles, like we don't play with collectibles, we'll go out and buy some toys. <laughs> like, Yeah, that was a rich. weird scene too. I mean, I, I understand that kids aren't going to understand the concept of collectibles, but yeah, you're right. I mean, she's having a, a child not just visit, but move in with her on what is intended to be a permanent basis. Why do you not prepare? How do you not like buy her a little bed and some cool girl, you know, stuff for her room, blah, blah, blah. I mean, she prepared in no way, shape or form. And that bothered me. It just kind of shows, you know, that Gemma, Gemma's not a bad person, but she is just very misguided. You know, she's she's more career focused than family focused. And not to say that everyone needs to be family focused, because I'd be a hypocrite if I said that, because I barely have any connection with my family, my blood family. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to say that Gemma's a bad person, but she definitely has some bad traits that, you know, that unfortunately, you know, she didn't realize that she had them until it was too late. So, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Megan's running low on her charge. So uh, we're going to put it to rest permanently <laughs> as far as fresh goes. But, uh it's a new year, so maybe there's some new stuff um, outside of this show for people to listen to from us. So let's uh, go around. Uh, Venom, uh, what do you have, if anything, for right now for people to listen to? Nothing new since the last time we recorded. Like I said, uh, let's see. Creature Comforts, episode 14, is still the latest episode. Crystal Lake Gift Shop, episode 2, is still the latest episode. Episode 3 will be coming to you very soon. Uh, Mike and I just got to get together and f- pick a date, but we're ready to do episode three. Um, and then my guest spot on Cut to the Chase did finally get dropped last week, uh, right before the new year. Uh, my episode of Cut to the Chase, where we looked at 1972's Whoever Slew Auntie Rue, starring Shelley Winters, that finally dropped. It's getting some good feedback, too. Um, it's funny. I get more feedback when I do guest spots than I do on any of my own shows. I, I always found that kind of odd, but whatever. I'll take it. <laughs> I, I always get I almost always get positive feedback when I'm either on, you know, the dark parade or cut to the chase or something. But, you know, no one ever hits us up about our shows. I don't know. Maybe no one's listening. Who knows? Who cares? I don't care. Anyway, point is, uh, no, the only thing I have new would be that cut to the chase guest spot. Uh, everything else is just the latest episodes of, you know, what was available. Main show, still episode 49 is the latest episode. We'll, we're going to start on the planning stages for episode 50. Um, hopefully that'll come sometime in January. Actually, definitely it'll come in January. It's just a matter of what we're planning for the show. We still haven't decided, but we'll see. That's it for me. All right, Don, I know you definitely got some stuff, so uh, share it. Yeah, um, 
As mentioned, we have episode 14 of Creature Comforts. Uh, that one was Troll, which was a, a great time, um, both the recording and the movie itself. Um, I, I did record with Cut to the Chase. We got together and did our show on, um, at the time it was topical, but uh, has now probably slipped into irrelevance, uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas. And uh, based on their previous patterns, I'm probably going to suspect that that's going to be held over until uh later this year so uh, that'll probably be one of the first episodes released for their december uh slate of films for uh 2023 um and yeah uh we have a launch for season two of horror countdown uh first two episodes are now available uh, first episode was with Lacey Lou. We did top 10 horror deaths. And then uh, the most recent episode, which was released uh, today as the time of recording, I looked at 10 films that should have had a theatrical release. So uh, that is uh, that was done with uh, Bill from uh, Horror Mafia. We ended up looking at uh, films that uh, were straight to video, straight to DVD, uh, straight to TV, like, you know, late 80s, 90s, uh, yeah. early 2000s. And then uh, in the modern air era, we looked at a lot of the um, streaming or uh, VOD stuff. So Shutter releases, Netflix releases, um, Hulu, VOD, uh, you know, stuff like that. So. Yeah, uh, that is, like I said, that was uh, the latest episode um, available as of the day of recording, and I, I, I think I just, I, I still have two or three um, cross promotion guest appearances that uh, I'm doing with uh, Horror Countdown, and then uh, I'm going on the guest show to do stuff with them. But I think those are still in the recording stages, or we still have to get together and everything. So I don't have much else on those unless uh, I say otherwise. So uh, I think that's it for me. All right. So for me, uh, nothing much of yet. Fresh cuts obviously is, is out. Our, this is our first episode of 2023. The top 10 episode is coming in about a week or a week Woo. and a half. Yeah, so this next week is pretty much going to be all about cramming for that, mm -hmm. um, and we should be looking to schedule the main show again now that we've uh, ticked over to the new year. Uh, I think Venom, you already mentioned Crystal Lake Gift Shop. Let's mm -hmm. look to get that uh, scheduled and recorded. Probably bringing in a guest again, maybe a returning guest. We'll see. Um, and then I think that's it. I mean, I, I do have the other sidecast going, um, but that the the watch this movie Mike show, which is fun. I have a few episodes, obviously, on the YouTube feed, but that one is just so low, low priority that it's like when I can fit it in. I would like to get some of those recorded, so we'll I'll see if I can do that. But that's pretty much it for me. Um, like I said, top ten show next week. After that. I know there's, I, I believe there's one more theatrical release in January, but there's, I looked at the, like, slate of horror movies. There's, like, a ton of stuff releasing this month on VOD, so we will have a lot to choose from um, for the rest of the month. It's going to be one of those Januaries where it's not slow at all for horror, so we'll just have to come up with something. I, I don't even want to name, start naming stuff now because 
by the time we do a next regular episode, there's going to be so much stuff sitting out there that we might change our mind three times before then. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, for any of the one that's been listening since the beginning on Fresh Cuts, or even if they predate when we change it to Fresh Cuts, we pretty much are releasing episodes consistently on a weekly basis. So you can expect that again this year. You know, all... I was going to say, you know, luck has had it that we haven't really had to skip many weeks in the past once in a while. Sometimes we've had to do an episode or two without one of the hosts. But as far as the show itself, other than like sometimes when we plan to take a week or two off at the end of the year to do movie cramming, we're pretty consistent. So if you're liking what you're hearing, check back in on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's usually only major, major, major holidays that um, interrupt recording dates that kind of uh, stall our recording schedule. So, yeah, we're pretty consistent. If you're like you said, if you're just joining us, expect something weekly unless a major, major, major holiday or family emergency erupts uh, on the recording day. Yeah, we uh, you know, this is our fifth year now together. Um, Maybe not all together as fresh cuts, because, of course, for those who remember, the show started as a sidecast for evil episodes. But we're starting our fifth year together, and I don't think we've ever done less than 49 episodes in a year. I've gone back and checked, and I think 48 or 49 is the least we've ever done in a year. So, yeah, two or three weeks, you know, we might miss or take a week off here and there. But uh, for the most part, you can pretty much guarantee you're getting 48 episodes a year, at least from us. Hopefully 50. If everything goes well, 50, but always at least 48. So. All right. Um, okay, well, with that, uh, we're going to close up shop for this episode. We will be back in about a week with our top 10 show. So until then, thank you, everybody, for starting out another year with Fresh Cuts. Let's say goodnight to the listeners. Later. Beware those virtual dolls, man. They can be a bitch. <laughs> yeah, take your toys offline. Just be a parent, damn it.